Well, I just have one final question for Jan asking as a resident, when is In-N-Out Burger going to open? <laughs> that is the number one question I get from everybody in the community right now. Welcome back to the Energy Strong podcast presented by SPL. My name is Patrick Schauer. Once again, joined by my two awesome co-hosts, Andrew Parker is the director of ESG at SPL. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Patrick. Happy to be back for episode two. Also joining us again is Kat Galloway, the president and founder of Bright Sky Environmental. How's it going, Kat? It's going great. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, today we have an exciting interview with Mayor Jan Coleman of Thornton, Colorado, We're going to have a little discussion about how oil and gas interacts with communities when they're overlapping in areas like we see in the DJ Basin of Colorado. But before we get into that interview with Jan, I just wanted to throw the question to the two of you. How do you guys feel personally about living near oil and gas? I know, Andrew, you also live in Thornton. You have oil and gas development near you. How do you feel about it? Uh, I've spent a lot of time in the Williston, North Dakota area, up in the Bakken, and uh, some time in Midland. And it always surprises me how close housing developments are built in some of those communities to large production facilities. And it puts it into perspective in Colorado how conscious the oil and gas community has to be. A few years ago, there was a company that sent notices out to my neighborhood and they were drilling laterals underneath our subdivision. And a lot of my neighbors you know, would see me outside and, hey, what's this letter about? Are we gonna notice anything? Is it gonna affect our groundwater? You know, the reality was, and, and the beauty of, of modern engineering is that the, the wellhead was like a mile and a half away. Couldn't see it, you, didn't, you weren't gonna notice the drilling, but just the lack of education and the stigmas around that were making a lot of neighbors pretty nervous. And, and I just kind of had to chuckle just having been in other oil and gas communities, how much closer wells can be drilled to housing developments. You know, for me, I, I, I trust what the oil and gas industry does. And I, I personally wouldn't have any reservations living closer than I already do to active wells. Well, I think from from an environmental perspective, from from my experience in air permitting and and working with upstream and midstream facilities, there's definitely air emissions from the process, right? Compounds such as benzene, toluene, ethylbenzene, which are cancer causing. So from my perspective, that is an even further reason to focus on reducing emissions from these operations. There have been a lot of studies done, especially recently in the last few years, about the health effects of, of living close to oil and gas sites. Some of the studies have, have indicated you know, that there may be higher, higher cancer rates, but I think we need to look into that a little bit more. I think, I think Kat, you make a good, a good point about the data and the studies, right? And and. One day, there is a study that suggests that living near a, an active facility is going to give you cancer and feels like the next week, there's another study that comes out and says that's not the yeah. case, right? I think 
your point to, to, you know, more data is, is probably a good, good starting point for conversations yeah. like this, especially because I think it seems like in Colorado a lot too, people associate correlation and mm-hmm. causation. Well, I, I think that's, that, that's a good point, Andrew. I just want to make sure that we're not hiding behind that phrase correlation isn't yeah. causation because people throw that around a lot when, you know, like you said, Kat, there, there are, you know, VOCs, emissions, other things that are directly linked to uh, cancer-causing compounds, yeah. and, and those come out of oil and gas facilities. So there, there is obviously some point at which that is too close to people. Now, how far away that is to be safe is the debate that's happening right now. Exactly. And obviously there is some point at which it is far enough away and it is safe, and there's some point at which it's too close and it's dangerous. And I think in Colorado, we've we've really been kind of pushing the wellhead further and further away because we have such a population area that overlaps with the oil and gas production, right? Colorado used to have a setback of 150 feet. So, you know, half a football field away, you could have a producing well. And that was back when these wells were flaring and venting, you know, straight to the atmosphere. That was clearly too close. You know, what was proposed back... Uh, several years ago for Proposition 112 here in Colorado was a 2,500-foot setback, which essentially puts the entire state off-limit for oil and gas development because there's not a lot of spots in the state where you can go a half a mile and not find a house. So that's too far. Right now we're sitting somewhere in the middle, and it seems to be working out okay. There was a there was a study published in 2018 by the University of Colorado in which they put out some data about health effects living near an oil and gas facility. And according to that um, paper, they found that the cancer risk of those living within 500 feet of a well was eight times higher than EPA's upper level risk threshold. So at that time, this was published in 2018. So their, their recommendation at that, at that point was there should be a 500 foot distance between a newly drilled oil and gas well and an existing home to protect people from exposure to those hazardous air pollutants. Yeah. And for a while here, the whole time that I've worked in the industry, 500 feet was the number in Colorado um, for new developments. There was some older wells that had been put in place before that setback was changed that were closer, somewhere in the 150-foot range or somewhere between 150 and 500. And those are the ones that I think cause a lot of the issues, even even to today, right? Those are the ones where you go into a neighborhood and you see a pump jack in between houses. And people think when they see that that that's what oil and gas development looks like right now. But really, that's the legacy of, of how things were done before. And unfortunately, we're, we're working through getting rid of things like that. And, you know, the, the people who see those in their neighborhoods think that that's what we're doing today. And that, that's just not how it works. And I think Colorado has found a good medium to allow for oil and gas development while still making sure that they're protecting citizens. Well, in, in, in that case where there were pump jacks, you know, right around the corner, were those pump jacks there first? And then the houses built afterwards or typically, yes. Okay. Yeah. Typically, typically they were. So, you know, there's, there has not been a situation in Colorado or not frequently a situation in Colorado where an existing neighborhood is there and then somebody comes in and in drills 
the neighborhood because okay. you, you just can't with setbacks now and you haven't been able to for a long time. But there's currently no restrictions that I'm aware of for housing developments from existing oil and gas facilities. Mm. So you could go as a developer and go inside the current state setback closer to an oil facility. This was always a frustrating part about the conversation after the well accident in Firestone. So the well was leaking, it wasn't mapped properly, but the reality was that well was originally drilled in 1991, I think, or 1990, it was in the 90s. It was an old well that that had been taken out of service and that neighborhood was built and encroached on that wellhead. It was not vice versa, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that from the conversation that was being had it felt more like, hey, this well was way too close to a house. We need to set these wellheads back. But but the reality was is that those houses were permitted to be built close to that well that had been there for decades before that housing development was actually built. Great. Well, I think we're going to hear Jan talk about a lot of these same issues. As, as mayor of Thornton, she deals with a lot of the complaints that people people have about oil and gas development as as well as any other construction activities or any other nuisance activities that go on in the city. So it'll be interesting to hear her perspective on on how, as a mayor, she deals with that. We will be right back to the Energy Strong podcast, but we want to tell you about our sponsor, Bright Sky Environmental, a consulting firm that is dedicated to the energy industry. Based in Texas, Bright Sky specializes in air permitting compliance and environmental due diligence for upstream and midstream operators. They have also just opened up a crypto integration consulting group to help operators reduce flaring while adhering to environmental rules the right way. Visit their website at brightskyenv.com. That's Bright skyenv.com or follow them on LinkedIn for more information. And now back to the show. Okay. And our guest today is Jan Coleman, the mayor of Thornton, Colorado. She was elected to the city council originally in 2013, reelected in 2017, and then elected mayor in 2019. She's already survived a recall attempt during that time. So I'm sure she has some great stories to tell us about that. But in addition to being the mayor of Thornton, Jan is also the director of well construction at Whiting and previously worked at Noble Energy and Canna and Centerpoint Energy. She's a registered professional engineer and has an MBA from CSU and a BS in electrical engineering from Louisiana State. So Jan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So can you start off just giving us an overview of Thornton? What's the city like? How big is it? Kind of where is it located? And specifically, what's its proximity to oil and gas development? Sure. So Thornton is like this hidden gem in the Denver metro area. We're located about 10 miles north of Denver. We are the sixth largest city in Colorado with about 146,000 residents. Our full build out will be about 250,000 in the next five to 10 years. And that'll probably make us the fifth largest city in the state of Colorado. We are the fastest growing city in Adams County. And Adams County is one of the fastest growing counties in Colorado. So a lot of growth, a lot of exciting things happening, but we're still kind of a bedroom community. We have a lot of people that don't work in the city. They work outside in Denver or the surrounding areas. And just because we were started in the 50s as a way for veterans to be able to find a place to live. As it comes to oil and gas, we actually don't have a lot of oil and gas in the city itself. We are 
built on top of an active oil and gas basin, uh, just like many of the other cities around us. But most of the oil and gas happened over 20 years ago. So no new oil and gas has come in in the last 15 to 20 years but we do have a lot of old producing wells. However, we are surrounded by unincorporated Adams County, which has a lot of new development. So literally a, a mile down the street from my house is an, a multi-well pad that's being drilled right now that is in an unincorporated Adams. But because we're so close to it, we are impacted daily by activity that happens around us. So I know that Patrick and Andrew are going to have a lot of questions specifically about that development and how you're working with the community and with the operators to develop that the right way. But before we get into that, I'm very interested in your background. You've got real world engineering experience and you've been in oil and gas. Tell us about how you got into public policy and what unique challenges and opportunities that's presented to you? That's a great question because the, the answer is one you get from a lot of politicians. It was an accident. You know, I spent a lot of time as an engineer working with my head down, making sure I get, did a good job. But when my kids started public school, we actually joined a charter school. And the charter schools are, are public schools, but they have their own governmental body. And so I had the opportunity to, to run for the school board. And the school was a K-8 charter school. We were working on uh, what could we do to help gifted kids find a way in the community. So funny enough, as I got into the school board, I became the president of the school board, and we were looking at opportunities to expand from a K to a K-12. And as an engineer, it makes it really easy to talk about construction projects and what it takes to do that. So we built a $52 million campus that included a high school, a middle school, and an elementary school. We built an athletic department. We built a theater. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And right in the middle of all of that, one of my friends was the mayor of the city of Thornton. And one of the council members for my ward decided not to run for re-election. So she and my husband tag-teamed me and called me and said, hey, we really could use an engineer on the city council. What do you think? And I told them they were out of their mind. I had enough going on between my day job, my kids, and the school board. I didn't have time to be a politician. But the more they talked to me about what it takes to be an elected official and what people are looking for in elected officials, it's what we do every day in the energy industry. We manage projects. We manage budgets. We do construction work. We work with other people. So it's kind of a natural fit to consider being on a city council, just like any other board of directors. So in 2013, I ran for the city council and won by a pretty large major majority. And we worked really hard on construction projects and went through a recession and lots of things that happened with that. And then in 2015, everyone found out that I worked in oil and gas. Not that it was a secret, because it wasn't. It was actually part of my campaign strategy just to talk to people about how I was an engineer. But right around 2015 was also when oil and gas became a hot topic in Colorado. And so it became a very negative situation that I had to deal with. And a group of people decided to try to recall me for the sole reason that I worked in the energy industry. So I spent a lot of time talking to people about what I did for a living, about how I could apply it to the city of Thornton. And they were not able to get the signatures in order to make it to a ballot question. But that led to 2017 when I was running for re-election for the same seat. And it became very negative and a point of every ballot question out there. 
the Sierra Club spent $30,000 telling people I was going to blow up schools and kill children if I was reelected to council. You know, forgetting the fact that for four years I, that hadn't happened. You know, nothing had changed in those four years. In fact, I had helped to rewrite some of our oil and gas regulations in the city that had not been updated since the 90s in order to use new technology that I was familiar with and get better outcomes for our community. So I spent hours, days, walking, knocking on doors, talking to people about what I did. And when it came down to it, I won the election by 41 votes. So it was a really hard election for me. But in 2019, I had spent so much time talking to people that when it came time to run for mayor, I had already set that standard. And it was a lot easier to have those conversations at the door. It wasn't a secret. Nobody thought I was hiding anything anymore. They just really wanted to talk and they wanted to understand. And those conversations were completely different. It was like talking to friends and family and being able to have real conversations. And it helped me win my mayor's race by a large majority. And so since then, you know, it's always a point of contention. I work in the energy industry and I have for over 22 years. I will always be an engineer that loves energy and loves working in the industry. But I also love my community and I use that in order to make my community better. Yeah, Jan, Thornton's a great place to live. I'm a resident myself and I have conversations all the time with my neighbors about oil and gas production in the area and have their concerns and and answer questions about what exactly is going on. In all of the conversations and campaigning and city council meetings that you've been a part of over the years, what are some of the, the most common concerns that you hear from residents about oil and gas development in and around Thornton? That's a wonderful question. And hopefully you voted for me as a Thornton resident. Just throw that out there. Of course I did. (laughs) But what the concerns that we hear uh, as a city council member on oil and gas are very similar to the concerns that we hear with any development. When there's a lot of construction happening, there's a lot of truck traffic, a lot of noise, a lot of dirt, a lot of lights. And people want to know that when when they come home at the end of the day, that they can enjoy their home and their family and not have to worry about what's around them whether that's oil and gas or another development that's being built right next to them. And so I've always encouraged the developers actually to take a page out of oil and gas's book and have town hall meetings to talk about what kind of activity is going to happen at that location, how long they're going to be there, what kind of truck traffic they're going to have, how they're going to manage school traffic. You know, if there's drop off and pick up around schools, how are they going to manage traffic around that? And so it's, it's not any different. You know, people are a little more scared of oil and gas because they may not understand it, but the complaints are exactly the same as any other construction project. And so with oil and gas coming closer into the city, you, you said you don't have any in the city now, but it's probably coming soon, right? So what's the city's due diligence process in permitting new wells? Um, you haven't had to do it yet, but I'm sure you're getting ready. So what does that process look like? We were actually able to create a, an MOU process, a memorandum of understanding through our new oil and gas regulations. And we did this actually before Senate Bill 181 because it was something I felt was important to have a good relationship with oil and gas companies as they were coming in to talk about how they could manage risk for us. So, you know, a, a new organization comes in and they are required to work with the community to set up community meetings to talk about the challenges, but they're also required to work with our staff. And we have a minimum expectation that they have to follow. If they can find new and creative ways to meet the same outcomes, then we are more than willing to talk to them and are open to it. Because you're absolutely right. Oil and gas is going to be in the city. It's just a matter of time. 
You mentioned Senate Bill 181. Uh, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with it, it was a law that was passed here in Colorado in 2019 that did lots of things, but but one of the main things that it did was to push more of the authority for siting of oil and gas locations to the local communities, the cities and the counties, and give them more authority on that. So has that has that law changed how you and Thornton view your responsibility or your ability to regulate oil and gas? And it's an interesting question because Senate Bill 181 really didn't change anything. It just confirmed the fact that local municipalities have the right to manage land use. We already knew that. We knew that before the bill was passed. The difference is that the community has an expectation now that we will manage oil and gas at a different level than we manage any other land use. But what we understand is that oil and gas is not located just anywhere. You know, you can put a 7-Eleven almost anywhere, but you can't put an oil and gas rig almost anywhere. It has to be where the minerals are. So it gave us that opening to have a great conversation about how do you manage that activity with the minimum amount of impact to the surrounding community. So I guess the simple answer is no, it really didn't change anything, but it opened the door for conversations. So Jan, what kind of conversations are you having about potential health effects from air emissions from these sites? Is that a discussion that that you're having? It absolutely is. Uh, We actually have a wastewater treatment plant that's on the north side of the city, and it has similar emissions to what an oil and gas location would have. And because we were already familiar with some of the concerns the community had around the wastewater treatment plant, we were able to apply those same concerns to oil and gas locations. So the state's been really good to work with, with uh, air monitoring, air quality, making sure that we have what we need in order to understand a baseline so that when we're looking at changes in air quality, we know what we're looking at and what it means. Because it's really important. A number on a page doesn't mean anything if you have nothing to compare it to. Switching gears maybe a little bit, Jan. I'm curious, we talked a lot about oil and gas development, but what about housing development? Um, Like you mentioned, there's a lot of older wells in the Thornton area and a lot of housing development being built. And so you have the issue of housing development encroaching on old wells. And I'm curious what process the city has for addressing safety and environmental concerns of of new housing developments as they encroach on older production facilities. We have worked a lot on what you would call reverse setbacks, is what can we do to make sure that new development is not encroaching on oil and gas? Because it's just as important that new development of oil and gas doesn't encroach on neighborhoods, but we don't want neighborhoods to build right up next to existing oil and gas wells. So I'm a big proponent of plugging and abandoning older wells. It's old technology. It's things that we haven't looked at, like I said, 15 to 20 years ago was when they were installed. The new technology is so much better So we have a great opportunity to plug and abandon those wells to allow development to happen in a way that is safe for the community, but is also productive for the oil and gas companies. We have a new development coming in that was just approved not too long ago, actually, where part of the requirement for the development to come in was that they plug and abandon all wells on the property. And I believe there were eight wells that this developer is now looking at working with those oil and gas operators to plug and abandon the wells. And part of the reason they're able to do that is because as things move out into unincorporated atoms for new development, they can drill new wells that take those minerals without losing any productivity. But then they get rid of the old technology, so the new wells actually produce better than the old ones did. So it's a win-win for both the community and the oil and gas companies. 
You you mentioned reverse setbacks. Um, is that something that you have actually in place in Thornton, or is it more of a policy? And and can you confirm for us? We were discussing earlier um, before your interview about something like reverse setbacks in Colorado. And to my knowledge, there isn't something that exists in the statute that would prevent a house from being built 50 feet from, from an oil well. So um, do you have actual reverse setbacks in Thornton? And, and what do you think um, that process looks like adopting statewide? So we actually had reverse setbacks in our oil and gas regulations from the 90s, and it was 35 feet which is not very far away from existing producing oil and gas wells. And we all recognize that that was not enough. So in our new regulations, it's 150 feet. And that is with current technology. But again, it's not a hard set in stone number. It's based on what is the building that's going to be built. Is it a a high occupancy building? Is it a home? Is it a daycare? Or is it a warehouse? Because those things require different acceptance of being close to oil and gas. And so our setback is really 150 feet unless you can show that there is a reason for it to be closer. So out of curiosity, why is that number so much different from the setback for a new oil and gas development? Why why the discrepancy there? That's a great question. And I can tell you it is purely political. And partly because when you're moving into a location with an existing well, you know it's there. Versus when you built your home and you're living there and something new comes in, you have less say over what's going to be built near you. And so theoretically, someone moves in, they know it's there and they know what to expect, where it's not quite the same if it's new. I'm, I'm in Texas, and I unfortunately don't know a lot about um, the basins that, that y'all are dealing with um, in your city. Do you have any sour gas that you're dealing with, or is everything pretty sweet on an H2S perspective? It depends on where you are in the basin. So there are locations that have H2S in them, which is part of why we do the air quality monitoring. And there are different requirements from the state on what how to manage that from a technical perspective. But we are mostly sweet here. So Jan, what, what general advice do you have for energy companies seeking to operate near population centers, uh, best practices, and um, what advice do you have for citizens who are moving into areas with active oil and gas development? I think what we're seeing in Colorado is an awareness from the public of where it didn't exist before. And not just with oil and gas development, but with all development. Colorado is growing at such a fast rate that you never know what's going to be built in the empty lot next to your neighborhood. And so people are more concerned about what kind of zoning is out there, what kind of comprehensive plan cities have. So they're already asking questions, which opens the door for oil and gas companies if they're considering drilling near a neighborhood to have conversations before they start the permit process. Everything that we do as a city council is relationship-based. When we have good relationships with developers, we have better projects. And the same is said for oil and gas. We have good relationships with oil and gas companies. We have better projects for the community. And so I think the biggest advice for oil and gas companies is to build those relationships before you need something from them. We are neighbors, we're friends, we're family. We can have those relationships long before a drilling rig shows up next to the neighborhood. And a great example of that is the one down the street from my house. I know the operator, and so when I have a concern, I can call them and talk to them about it, and they are willing to talk to me about what's going on. There was an opportunity, uh, wasn't too long ago, at 5 o'clock in the morning, I 
could hear the drilling rig from my house. And again, I'm a mile away, so it's not like I'm that right up next door to it. And there's lots of houses between me and that location, but I could hear it. And so when I called the oil and gas company and talked to them about it, I said, you know, it sounds like you're stuck in the hole in your, with your drilling rig. When do you think you're going to be done? And she told me, yeah, you're right. We are stuck in the hole. It should be done in about 15 minutes. And they were. They were done in 15 minutes, and they were able to deal with it. So being open to have those conversations and talk to people, I think, is really important. It's easy to take for granted, too, the role that oil and gas companies play in communities like Thornton and uh, the state of Colorado in general, right? So what, how, how are oil and gas communities or oil and gas companies um, – helping the community in Thornton? What what kind of involvement do they have with the community? Uh, maybe it's events that they sponsor, like uh, the 4th of July celebration. How, how integral of a part is their involvement in in growing a thriving city like Thornton? It's funny you say that, because I've actually been noticing logos from oil and gas companies on a lot of our sponsorships. And it's not just in the city of Thornton. It's Adams County. It's the school districts. It's the nonprofits. And so the one actually down the street from my house is Great Western, and they sponsor Food for Hope, which is one of the charities that I am most proud of and engaged with in my community. And that organization feeds kids, and it's all kids in Adams County. And these kids are kids that need food. And it was really easy for Great Western to come in and donate some money and time to be able to put together lunches for kids and have them delivered to schools. It didn't take much effort. It was a great opportunity. And because they are now engaged, it opened the door for more opportunities for that engagement. So it's been a great partnership. And I love seeing the names and the logos and the people at all of the events across the city and the county. Yeah, they're a great operator. And they they really have mastered how to operate in Colorado specifically. That specific pad that you're referring to, I've driven by a number of times myself. And on the the sound walls that they have up, they've got big signage that directs you to to a website that helps educate people in the community uh, with pretty much complete transparency as to what what they're doing, what's going on behind these these walls, and um, so it's great to know that they're they're doing things for the kids and and the community as well uh, in Thornton. Yeah, I love their sign. What's behind the wall? Go to our website and find out. And I walk my dog by there all the time. So I'm always looking to see what's going on. I love seeing the progress. And it's, you know, it is behind the wall, so you can't really see what's happening. But I can go to the website and check it out. So, and Kat, maybe you'll have some input on this, but we're, we're talking a lot about how operators in Colorado work. And, and there's a very specific situation around housing existing within the oil field and what that interplay looks like in texas it's very different right we we don't have very many locations in texas where housing development overlaps with uh, new oil and gas development but what kind of takeaways can an oil and gas company that's operating in colorado or somebody who's operating in texas and looking at the people operating in colorado what can they take away to help make sure that they're still operating as responsibly as possible knowing that some of the concerns from the state of Colorado are eventually going to make their way into Texas. Maybe it's not the housing piece specifically, but there will be others. Well, and that's great because I, you know, I operate in North Dakota mostly. And so there is no housing around where we operate. However, we understand even in North Dakota that the rules and regulations in Colorado will eventually make it to North Dakota. So North Dakota and Texas 
will become the same as Colorado when it comes to regulations eventually. So we might as well start getting used to it now and taking those positive changes and applying them across the board. The one thing that I say to our developers, our home builders, and I just met with them last week actually and talked to them a lot about this, is that it is a partnership. You know, working in construction, there's lots of opportunities for developers and builders, home builders, to work with oil and gas companies to make sure that we are talking to each other about locations, whether it's where flow lines are going to be, whether it's where we're going to plug and abandon a well, whether it's next to an existing producing site. If we're not working together, we're missing an opportunity to do things better. So how does a growing city like Thornton and how do you as the mayor of that city balance competing interests in resources that might be limited for the city when you have development that that you're expecting to continue going for the next decade or more and oil and gas development coming into the city specifically things like like water what how is the city balancing access to those resources with with potentially competing interests water is probably our biggest challenge in the city of thornton as we grow Colorado's an arid state, so we know water is hard to come by. Thornton is actually water rich. We bought farmlands back in the 1980s, converted all of the irrigation from wet to dry, moved the water rights into the Poudre River, and we are now building a 75-mile pipeline to bring that water into the city to be able to accommodate our full growth. We work really hard to make sure that our residents and our commercial development are being very careful with how they use the water. So making sure that how we use it as we water yards or we use it in our homes, that we're being as efficient as possible. So, of course, water in oil and gas is extremely important as well as we use it for fracking. One of the things Thornton does and has in our regulations is that our municipal water cannot be used for any type of industrial activity. And that gives our residents a little bit of comfort knowing that the water that they're paying for is being used solely for their use. And so any type of water that cannot be used for municipal use, that at that time can be sold for other activities. But none of our new water goes towards any industrial activity. And what about your um, utility scale power? What are your sources of power in the city? We have several electric utilities. Uh, XL Energy and United Power are both very well known in our community, depending on where you are in the city. Mostly on the west and south side is XL. On the north and east side is United Power. And they're actually really easy to work with when it comes to any development. They are happy to relocate lines. Of course, they'll get reimbursed for that. They are happy to work with oil and gas companies to bring electric power to locations as needed to help reduce emissions. They've been a great partner in this. And are they are they natural gas? Or are they coal? Or are they tell tell us what those uh, the sources of those of those of the energy is? Yeah, the sources for energy for I think XL is a combination of all sorts of energy, and the same with United Power. United Power gets their transmission power from tri-state generation, which gets their power from as they say tri-states, three different states, which is coal and natural gas as well as renewables. And I think we're all familiar that XL Energy came out with a new standard that said by 2050, they want to be the provider of energy without any issues related to carbon, and which is a great, great opportunity, right? So I think we have a chance in the oil and gas industry to mimic that. We can change our technology to try to move towards a more carbon neutral state. We know natural gas is important. We know it helps us keep our prices down, but we also know that it's important to make sure that we have other opportunities as well. 
we actually use renewables quite a bit in the oil and gas industry. Solar panels are a way for us to get power to our locations. So we can partner with the utilities to make sure that they have what they need to meet their goals and that we have what we need to make sure that the rest of the world has access to cheap, reliable energy. Well, I think, you know, speaking again as a resident, I think it's it, appreciate your time on the podcast today. And, you know, I, I for me, it's 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 fun living in the city of Thornton because it is such a rapidly growing community. And I think a lot of residents don't appreciate or take for granted the fact that the mayor of our city has the level of expertise in this subject area as you. And I think a lot of other communities don't know how to deal with this question as well as Thornton does because of the expertise that you bring to the planning and the development and the implementation of oil and gas activities in and around the city. So I think it's just a great opportunity to get more and more people educated on how the city approaches this topic and uh, can't thank you enough for joining us again today. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk. You know, like you said, not everybody knows what my background is. When they find out, it may be a little concerning, but the more we have good conversations and the more people we talk to, the easier it is to actually make positive change for everyone. I think one of the most important things for people to remember is we do have elections coming up, especially our local elections, and they are very important. So be sure to reach out to candidates to talk to them about how they feel about the issues that are important to you. And if anyone in Thornton has questions about who they should be voting for, feel free to give me a call. We will be right back to the Energy Strong podcast, but I want to tell you about our sponsor, SPL. They offer end-to-end testing, measurement, and reporting solutions across the entire hydrocarbon value chain through cutting-edge technology, meticulous processes, and highly qualified personnel. SPL offers insights you can trust and act on. Check them out online at spl-inc.com. That's spl-inc.com. And now... Back to the show. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. Since it was brought up earlier in the episode, I wanted to address the topic of the CU study that was mentioned. We understand that this is a topic that deserves a much more detailed conversation, and we plan to do an entire episode on health effects of living near wells at some point in the near future. But in the meantime, we wanted to provide a link to that study so that you could look at it yourself. We also are providing a link to some information on Senate Bill 181 that was mentioned multiple times in the conversation with Mayor Coleman, so that you can read up a bit on that yourself, especially if you're in Colorado. It's important to understand what this new legislation does to affect oil and gas development. Once again, if you have any questions or comments about the show, you can reach us on the website, energystrong.com podcast, on Twitter at energystrongpod, or on LinkedIn, just follow Energy Strong. Also, thanks again to SPL for presenting this podcast and to Bright Sky for sponsoring this episode. If you're interested in sponsoring, remember you can reach out to us on any of those mediums that were just mentioned, and all of the sponsorship money will be going to the charity for this quarter, the Porter Billups Leadership Academy. Thank you also to my co-hosts, Andrew Parker and Kat Galloway, for all of your help in putting this together, and we look forward to seeing you all next time.